Welcome to the Space Cave, a big warg to all of you. As you can hear, my voice is a little uh, less than great, so there's a, been a delay in this episode. I get into it on the Patreon. I won't get into it here. Thanks for supporting the show on Patreon. New episodes of Intercepts coming out. These are those tapes coming out. More Space Caves coming out. Um, so thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy it. If you haven't listened to the comedy of Chad Daniels before, I really hope you start way at the beginning with two minutes for stale hacking. And then if you get to busy being awesome, that's where it really starts. But it's like a, a, a deep cut to get to the stale hacking. I don't even know if he's going to love that I said that. Like, oh, boy. Oh, that's like when you're new at comedy and you just make something so you can sell it on the road. I don't know that that's something he's proud of, but he should be. He's the best. He's great. He has a new production, a new exquisite called Mixed Reviews on YouTube. Talk about that at the end. Go check it out. Here is a chat, a long time in the making. We've been friends forever. Um, here's my conversation with Chad Daniels. Well, I have some news. We're podcasting. Oh, are we? Yeah, it's already started. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> you trickster. I think we've been on... I wouldn't say dozens, plural, but probably a handful of podcasts together. Sure. Never in this setting, never one-on-one, just um, tell me about your deepest secrets. Not across the table. Right. Yeah. Yeah, not... um, So we're getting into your second album, and that is the one... (laughs) 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 They never do that with comedy as much, and I used to really like it with music, I don't. I think it's all kind of rehearsed, and musicians get to yeah. talk at this labored pace of, yeah, um, well, we were at this farmhouse in uh, northern Kentucky. And my grandfather, like, oh, God, just get to it. Like, <laughs> and then comedians have to up the ante, and we're like, you're not going to believe what happened to me, man. I was at the supermarket. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> so, um, but uh, if you ask me about my second album, I would not be able to answer any questions. So I have a friend, Fritz, mm-hmm. who will, when we're hanging out, he'll go, uh, he'll say something. And I go, oh, that's pretty funny. Are you going to put that in your act? And he goes, that's from your album. I'm like, <laughs> okay. I just, for some reason, record it. I mean, I, I can remember the actual stories that happened. But if you tell me a line that's whatever, just for the comedy version of the story, yeah. I won't remember it. Because I almost have to wipe it. Otherwise, it, it sticks in there. Do you get people now requesting stuff? No, but I'm I'm almost like uh, I, I try to come back to a market with a new hour every time. And so I think people have gotten used to that because I used to ha- I people would show up to the show and they go, I brought 20 coworkers expecting to hear blah, blah, blah. And you didn't do it. It's mm-hmm. like, well, I know, but comedy is different than music. You know, once you hear a punchline. I don't know if it's that funny again, but yeah. you hear a song and it has this memory. It's like, oh, that's when I, that's when Laura and I went out on the football field with a blanket and had that candlelit dinner or whatever. And so, um, but comedy, it's not, it's not like that. I saw, uh, I was working Catch a Rising Star in Reno and at the, I feel like there was an underground tunnel or something cool to get to their bigger event space and Brian Regan was performing there. And at the end, he took requests and did old yeah. jokes. And I always liked that idea that comedy is just like music written down and the words matter. And but I and it was kind of fun to see him do that. I don't know that like the and I didn't know all the jokes, so some of them were new to me. But the ones that I did know, 
I don't know that they were ruined because I'd heard them. It was kind of fun to see someone do, but it was more like uh, the technical aspect of it. Wow, he's really doing it with the cadence and the right wording, and that's really sure. something because you think. I would guess most comedians would just be like, eh, it's basically this. It's, you know, here's, here comes yeah. basically this joke that you remember. That's what I've had to say. So people have yelled, uh, in Philadelphia, one of the coolest experiences, this guy goes, do the IHOP bit. And then everyone, not everyone, but several other people from different pockets, not just with him, were like, yeah, we would love to hear that live. We have only heard it, you know, whatever, in our car. And so I said... I got to. I don't. I I remember the story, but I don't remember the comedy bits of it. Mm-hmm. And then he goes, "I do," <laughs> and I'm like, "All right, come up here." So he came on stage, and I went and sat in his chair. And this is like before COVID and all that stuff. So I'm like drinking his beer, <laughs> watching him do my bit, and he did it. I was like, "Oh man, this is pretty funny." <laughs> you know, it was it was uh, an interesting thing to watch someone else do that story. Yeah, um, and then everyone like I wish so badly I would ha- I had that on video because it, it would just be you know just kind of fun to revisit or whatever. Not in this world of putting out content. Yeah, but just fun to see that or like show my kids like see, I told you <laughs> your dad's not always a dip. Yeah, from I I miss those little moments that were to me that comedy stand-up comedy was like a secret group and if you like especially in around you started before me but in that same era pre really the internet being even a big component Mm -hmm, of seeing comedy or seeing someone on tv you didn't hear them on a podcast you couldn't see them tweet about here's where i got started Mm -hmm. or so it was an unknown source to get to the the start of it how do i start i remember calling a comedy club and being like, can I come do a show? And they're like, well, our open mic night is this night. And I thought, I just want to come like do a full show. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea how it worked. Well, no, just so you guys get the people in. Yeah. And then I'll do this material that's never been done. And then you just pay me. You just pay me. I'm guessing it'll go fine. <clears throat> I mean, isn't this how everyone I've ever seen on TV started? And it's how many tens of thousands of dollars are you going to pay? <laughs> I went to uh, there was a there was a um, club in the Mall of America called Knuckleheads, and it said contest right in the window. And I, I went in. I'm like, I want to sign up for the contest. Never done stand up. I'm like, I would like to sign up for the contest. And they go, Well, you can't. And I go, Well, what do you mean? It's a contest. And they're like, well, This is like for professionals. And I go, There's a professional contest. <laughs> Come on. <clears throat> and then several years later, I was in that contest. Just thinking, like, thank God there aren't any losers <laughs> off the street in this contest. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it is interesting because you don't know how to start necessarily. I mean, there's you you can't at that time couldn't Google where do I go to start comedy. I would try that, and then calling the club and having them tell me, you know, you can drive an hour away and do three minutes. You got to wait like an hour to do it. I just I would look at the studying I had to do and think, I don't. I don't know if I have the time for that just just yet. And then, I, you know, you and I know each other from Austin, but my first open mics were in San Diego, or really La Jolla at the comedy store there. Mm-hmm. And so you start in an alley. You wait outside for, like, the side door to open, basically, when this list comes out, <laughs> you sign up. And I remember just, I can still think back so clearly to just standing there, kind of milling around. And your natural instinct, or maybe it's not an instinct, but as a person, rarely are you in a group of people there's 15 or 20 of you on the planet who are in this one location yeah. together. Your thoughts should all be like, we, we all must be friends. Look at us. We all have this thing in common. There's only 15 of us on the planet right here, right now. And yet you're looking around like, oh, I don't know about these people. I don't know about this. Oh, yeah. I mean, you're, you're looking at some people that have shifty eyes, <laughs> just wondering if they're thinking, well, if I snip this person's tendon on the back of their leg... That's four and a half minutes for me. I mean, <laughs> well, some of them had compulsions and neuroses that they just needed to get out in public. And so they would, the first time you see it, eh, it's not a bad three minutes. And then after a year of every single time they get on stage, it's verbatim that three minutes of, mm-hmm, right. and here's why I hate my father or whatever it was. And being <laughs> like, they come wait every week for like in this alley. But I guess the point that I was getting to is that 
that that moment you had there to me that's what like early stand up was it's it was like existentially knowing all these hard drives all this software that we have can only operate the world right now can only operate if all the technology is up and working mm-hmm. and the moment those things cease none of it ever happened. It never even existed. And right now we're all experiencing it, sharing Mm it. And that's, that is so apropos or useful to having, having your mind when you start taking things too seriously, because you get those stand up moments and you're like, this is happening. I'm a part of it. Very unique. There's only so many of us in this room getting to experience this Mm -hmm. and then it's over. And that was just a part of my life. I don't have to share it. It's nice to share, but now everyone's sharing everything as though like it all matters I think it matters the same as it ever did, which is not a lot. Yeah, I was in Atlanta and the opener, very, very funny. And so these terms might make you think of low-hanging fruit, but these both of these bits that he's offering up were very funny. And he goes, well, you guys were such a good crowd. And there were maybe, I'm going to say 80 people, not many. And this is recent, just to let you know. Okay. Um, And so he says, you guys are such a good crowd. I don't have time for both of my last two jokes. So I want to offer up. I go, would you like to hear the story of my adoption? Or would you like to hear a bit about eating the backside? I'm just not going to say all this stuff. And then this woman yelled the latter. And so I was so fascinated because it was so fast Mm -hmm. that she yelled it. So I went out there and I talked to this woman for quite a while about why she would choose that. And it ends up, you know, she is a nurse in a um, uh, neo-something unit. And she's like, I I deal with adoption all the time. And it's just like, I'm here to get away from work. So whatever the other option was is what I was going to pick. And so we're doing this thing. And then this, now this (laughs) other woman is yelling, like, that's actually what it, you know, is like to do that. I'm like, well, how do you know? And then it's like, who's that guy behind you? And she's like, this is my dad. It's like, well, come on. (laughs) And so it was, it was just such a random, perfect storm. And I, I, I was having so much fun. And I, sometimes I get these little tinglies when I'm on stage where I just think this is, I, I read this, uh, this thing once it says it's like a, a glimmer is the little the little parts of your day that are unexpected joy. And if you focus on the glimmers instead of the bad stuff, your life's just going to be better. Mm-hmm. And so that was like a comedy glimmer, even though there's like a lot of language being tossed around. But it was like <laughs> it was a comedy glimmer for me. And I felt the little tinglies. And I said to the crowd, I go, there's only 80 of us in here, but nowhere on planet earth is there going to be this show before or ever again. I mean, this is wild that we are experiencing this together. And it was just such a neat thought that live entertainment is like that, where you can listen to everybody's album, you can be their biggest fan, you can have all their merch, but there's a chance you're never you're never going to see all the shows. Right. You're never going to see that one show where something just sets it off at the beginning and it's a completely different experience from any other show, which I think is fascinating. And I'm I'm glad those shows aren't recorded. Because then it gives you, you know, in this world of content, it gives you a little bit of a like hey man, maybe you should put this out and have everybody else see it. And so I'm I'm very thankful that that one wasn't recorded because it's just like well let's just let's just be here and enjoy this the the eighty of us. Yeah, I love that. I think of uh, the evolution of art getting transferred. Uh, in the I don't even know when this start. I think of like lutes and fifes and a, and a performing gypsy group coming to your <laughs> little sure. village yeah. and unfurling a tarp and putting on a play and in this and how much the people there would appreciate it at the very I mean, maybe they're marauders or they're chugging ale from a steiner or whatever they're in there. Yeah, there was one guy with an axe that was like, that lady's a man! (laughs) You're freaking out still. Just from the beginning of time. Hurling the axe. (laughs) We need to leave this town. But in the moments where like even the drunkest, most uninvolved artistic person in that crowd would be taken somewhere else, Mm -hmm. like listening to that music and realizing how much they needed that. And for months afterward, out tilling a field or whatever they were doing, going, you remember that traveling group? Remember mm-hmm. the person that juggled? You remember mm-hmm. that song? And how much that mattered. And then 
you start getting like a phonograph or you getting, you know, press it onto wax and like, I'm going to share this. And then now it's not even, not even like on a USB that you have to physically hand someone, just everyone here at the world have it. And yep. it, it takes away a little bit, I guess, if you look at it from a purist perspective. But I think going back to like the era where we started and you'd see the famous comedians on TV, that's what was appealing is they're making people laugh and that's a fun thing to do. And mm -hmm. I wonder if I could do that. There's never a part that, and then I think later what becomes way more interesting <clears throat> is that connectivity, that feeling that like you're sharing a thought or an emotion or a feeling and a whole crowd of people is like, I know exactly how that feels or I can place myself there, mm -hmm. right? Whether it's just a silly story about like having diarrhea or if it's something <laughs> where like the punchline is like waiting around a corner that goes a little deeper where, yeah. you know, people are silent and you've seen that where like... Some comedians, like, it never comes back up. And people might like that show, like, you know, I got really dark for a while, but they're, like, really enraptured by it. When you're in those rooms and feeling that, I think that's all it is. It just takes back to, like, those moments that you get to share. I Like, man, I know a lot about small crowds. And in certain situations, I would say, like, <laughs> if you were, like, in an outpost, if you're stationed on the moon somewhere and for months and you didn't have anything going on and they sent you anybody – you could you would be so thankful to be yeah. in there. And so if you look at this as like a little pod, I did shows where I like had the audience like close their eyes just to kind of imagine that. Sometimes that was kind of fun. Oh, that's great. But I, I just like that notion of like, it doesn't always have to be gigantic in a stadium. Sometimes like that little I think so too, element. yeah. Oh yeah, intimacy is I think key for that kind of stuff because then you can have these one-on-one -on -one conversations with people <clears throat> and everyone's kind of feeling the same thing, right? Like when 80 people walk into a room that's supposed to fit 200, you go, oh, did we pick the right thing tonight? Yeah. And so there's a question about that. And then you end up having so much fun and you go like, well, where the hell are the other 120? But also, well, this is ours. So who cares about those people? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> you were talking about... Uh, you know, sometimes there's a, a, a universal um, story that gets everybody involved, and there's sometimes it's also universal, but it goes down a little bit. Mm -hmm. I've been uh, talking on stage about how my dad once, when I was much younger, I was crying, and he came. <laughs> Thanks for clarifying. Much that. younger, you Wait, guys. He was a kid. Let give him some space. He could cry when he's a kid. Thank you. I was a child crying, <laughs> and my dad came in my bedroom. Really for no reason. The door was shut. I wasn't like, you know, like trying to get attention. Yeah. I was just crying. And he came in and he goes, I will give you something to cry about. And I'm like, so I, I talk about that on stage because I think it is so ridiculous and also just like a funny, a funny memory where, where I, I talk about, well, I'm, I'm crying. I don't need anything to cry about. And then the men will, I, you will see two moves with a man's shoulder in the crowd when I talk about that. They either sink or they square to me. <laughs> and it is like some of them are remembering that exact moment because that is like, that's a grown man saying that to a child is pretty ridiculous. Yeah. But then also some of the men don't go into that, oh, I'm sad about that memory. They go into, I will... I will murder the man saying that phrase. And they square their shoulders. It's <laughs> wild. And and then the women are like laughing about it. And then they see what's happening and they kind of shut down. It's like, it's a really interesting reaction. And I know that I shouldn't, I know comedy is about the funny and whatever, but man, do I love getting those two reactions. <laughs> I just, it's interesting to me that, that grown men hear that phrase and it brings them immediately back to childhood. Do your dad ever say that? I know the phrase. I don't remember my dad saying it. Okay. Um, I've thought I when I think of it, like if my son is crying and I think of like well, that's a silly thing to cry about. I hear that phrase and I immediately go, "What a crazy impulse in this situation to, not that I'm thinking of saying it, but that someone would think that's probably the right thing to do right here." Yeah, a, a grown man whose muscles and bones are fully developed. Telling a child, I will give you something to cry about as they're crying yeah. is wild to me. I think, did you watch the uh, Mr. Rogers documentary? Mm -hmm. And how he would just be like, you got to place yourself and remember what it's like to be a kid. And 
And so beyond, if you don't say, I'll give you something to cry about, that's a starting point on the spectrum. <laughs> but where's, the, where's the, the correct response to it? Where's the one that fits you the best? And to, to sit there for a second and take in like, what is probably happening? What, emo- what emotions or lack of ability to communicate them is happening right here? And people will share, you got to read this book. And like, as if you know everything about child psychology, you'll be an expert at it. And right. I just think that's illogical. Right. Sometimes it's just a feel. It's just kind of sitting there, maybe rubbing their back or leaving. Hey, the door was closed. Give them some space. It could be any number of those things. And Or just yeah. like in a little encouragement, like cry it out, dude. Yeah. You're let, feeling some things. Let you're it out. Human. Yeah. Let it out. This is going to feel a lot better when you're done. <laughs> I... I, I used to draw comics all the time, and then I don't anymore. And every now and again, I'll have an idea for one. I'm like, I need to get back to drawing comics. And the one that always stands out to me as like an entry-level get-back-in-the-mix is just a doctor holding a little baby, and someone's going, wow, they're, they're really a crier. And there's tears flying out of the baby's face, and the doctor is just saying, get used to that feeling. <laughs> <laughs> and that's such like a cynical look of like when a child is crying to just come into their room and be like can be a lot of that in life it's just inexplicable you can't really put your finger on it but like it it's hard it's difficult so comedy like going back to the woman yelling the thing out you know the the impulse for everyone in that room is like this woman's a psychopath she wants to hear about this really dirty thing when right. there's a sweet offer yeah that's the first impulse and then comedians because you are the traveling gypsy crew and you get to like experience the impulse behind actions, then your first thought a lot of times is like, I'll bet there's more to that. Or maybe not. Maybe you get so jaded that you're like, oh, this humanity, I hate them. They're, wor- they're the worst. But likely you go, there's probably something to that. And then of course it's more often than not that sort of story of, oh, I work in this and it's really, I came here to get away from it. And then it makes sense. Yeah. Like, oh, not a psycho. I don't think I ever <clears throat> think there must be more to this because I have talked to some real dumb people. Mm-hmm. But I do think whatever the reason you said it, I would like to know. Yeah. And that's the same with heckling. Mm-hmm. So when I was younger, I would get heckled and I would lose it. And it was machismo stuff. It's like, I'm not going to lose this. And, you know, I'd go over the top and like ruin a person's evening, you know, which mm-hmm. also, by the way, if you're a, an aspiring young comedian, uh, crowds don't like that. Crowds don't like when you ruin a person's night. So um, you lose the entire crowd doing that. But with a with a heckler now, I don't even care what they yell. I just want to know why they're yelling. What I uh, would ask them a lot, and I found this to be very effective, is to stop and go, did you say something mean or nice? And just to have to have, it's easy to just lob something out, but to, I, I was being mean. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh, that's so funny. I, um, someone yelled something at the beginning of a show in Salt Lake City last week. And I said, I couldn't hear what you said, but the tone sounded pleasant. Where I, where I go, you know, I can't always hear, but you can definitely hear the tone. I'm like a dog in that way mm-hmm. where you go, well, that person's furious. <laughs> or, well, that was probably like, we love you, Chad, or, you know, something. Mm-hmm. It's like that kind of tone. But to to actually make them respond with an answer of yeah i was i was being a jerk <laughs> it's so funny oh my goodness so useful i feel i mean, i can go on about that but like i just feel like certain you get into comedy you see it you you certain mm. things are learned pattern behavior you're like well that's yeah. how you handle that and but the idea behind comedy is like you're supposed to be thinking differently you're supposed to have your own ideas and yeah. like so just stepping way back i was like that i'm going to try that and every time i did i just found it ultimately effective where the person went, I'm sorry sorry about that or repeat it <laughs> I said your joke sucks like, okay all right but I heard you clear you didn't have to lob it out like a coward into the darkness you say it right to me yeah. that was that was <clears throat> of two thoughts well three or four, a million thoughts but going back to kind of the people squaring their shoulders yeah I think everything is a cult <clears throat> Everything feels like some sort of a cult where you join whatever you're, you're really into recycling. You kind of gravitate toward people that have the same views on how they break down their recyclables. Mm-hmm. You like to live off grid. You like to collect guns. You like to build your own bullets. Whatever it is, you will. I'm going to throw one in here. You just got out of rehab and now you're going to tell everybody what they're doing wrong. And you need that. You need that sense of community to right. be when you're smoking together, you're just chugging coffee right. to be like, it, you know what it's like when you feel it. 
not to disparage cults. Everyone kind of needs some sense of well, community. Yeah, you, need, you need group, yeah. You need sure. a group. And social creatures. Some of those become like the biggest pop stars in the world. I think some people that are there aren't even fans necessarily. They like being a part of the cult. And then, oh, no, that song's actually from this album. But there's a recorded B-side that actually sounds like, you know, like, oh, you're good at this cult. You're good at being here. <laughs> wow, you really showed me up. Your shirt's newer you're, or older, whatever it is. Yeah. I think cults can be effective, but you have to be a little concerned if you're feeling like you're developing a hive mind of that. And I, I think more so in – that's maybe an aside, but I think it ties into this where, like, if we're trying to have a cohesive, a unified cult, and we look at the groups you're performing to, do you, I mean, you're out there seeing it. We all carry around our own experiences, traumas, uh, bad lucks, successes, things that we're very prideful in. Maybe mm-hmm. someone that had a tough childhood, especially as a man, lifted a bunch of weights and now they like carry right. that around with them. Like, look who I am now. Yeah. I'm not, don't mess with me. But inside there is all these little damages oh, yeah. that they're protecting. And I wonder if, like, when you're seeing it, when you're seeing it all in action, like, we are a society where we're not out working on a field together. Like, I was in Romania and seeing a family go to get firewood together, four deep in a little wagon behind a horse, on, like, on the side of a freeway. Cars are flying by. So the cars that are flying by are like, I'm late for work. I got to get there. I got to take kids up at daycare. I can't afford it. My check just bounced. This is happening. Stress, taking it out on the kids. I'll give you something to cry about. Yeah. Just mutating into like more versions of that coming out of it. And this little family getting left behind, like we're all nice to each other. We see each other. <laughs> right. We communicate. We listen. <laughs> so we've like, we've left this one world and now we're in the midst of this other fast one do you think comedy helps that? Do you think like that's irrelevant or is that something that even is at like the front of your mind or are you just like, oh, I guess that's a thought? Well, I think people do go to comedy like that woman, right? Mm-hmm. I, I just want to be away from work. Yeah. I just want to be away from work for a little bit. And that one thing that he offered two things and one of them is my work. Yeah. So I immediately, I don't care if it is, you know, Serial killer, murder stuff, I'd rather hear that. Yeah. Um, and then I think people come in yeah, to leave work. However, some people will come leave work but not leave everything else behind. Yeah. Right? It's like I, I've said before, I go, you can't bring your sadness to comedy. you got to fix your own stuff and then come. You'll enjoy it more because when I'm saying, you know, I'll give you something to cry about – Yes, you are jacked up, and yeah, you look great, and you've built an amazing safe room, but there's still a cowering little boy inside the safe room. Mm-hmm. You got to handle that before yeah. you come to comedy and get mad at me right. for telling you something that happened to me. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I mean, I think some people are good at it. Some people go for the re- – when I go to Magic, watch Magic, which is weird because I don't trust hardly anything, Yeah. right? But I – don't care when it comes to magic. I leave all of that behind and I sit there and I'm like a little boy just full of wonder. Just cannot believe it. I don't want to know how it was done. If somebody taps me and be like, oh, you, did you see the, and I go, dip, dip, don't you dare. <laughs> that was magic. Yeah. Right. I, I really want to believe that. And I think that um, it's not easy to do. I can't do that in other aspects of my life. But for some reason, watching a magic show, I can leave it all. And just sit and enjoy what's happening in front of me. And I I wish I could turn that on in other parts of my life too. Like someone coming to comedy and like, you know what? I'm going to leave all this behind. I'm just going to laugh at everything. That's so hard. Oh, yeah. I mean, one, I agree so much with magic. When I did the junk show, my old variety show, always had magic. And I didn't, it it gives you a glimpse when people, I don't care for magic. I, I was always like, huh. I don't I get, trust that. I get that, but why do you need to say it? It's like a point of pride to be like, I, I just can figure it out every time. Like, well, you're a disallowing yourself to do that thing you just talked about. Just let go. Mm-hmm. Enjoy it. Like, And I've found, this is probably not a common or popular view of things, in talking about like who gets to have their things or their career or whatever it might be. I feel like if someone is immensely creative – give them a little bit of a pass on things that aren't inciting violence or harm. Mm-hmm. If you're espousing some horrible view, you know, I don't love that. I don't want to hang out with you, but you also made this amazing things. Roald Dahl 
so insanely racist and anti-Semitic. I, you know, it's hard for people. I'm sure there are people listening like, yeah, but James and the Giant Peach or like whatever their thing is that they loved about that person. You can go on and on with like Dr. Seuss. It just keeps mm-hmm. going of like, yeah. there's some there's some part of that of somewhere inside there was that little kid and that voice won out. It created this very creative thing. Magic mm-hmm. is creative. Coming up with the trick or yeah. turning someone else's trick into your own. Like magic, magicians are all thieves and they have this really great, I was telling you the other day like how they have this code. Yeah. If they miss a show, they're like, I've replaced myself at your show. They have, and another part of that is like you don't ever steal someone's trick. The moment that person dies, every magician's like, who's getting that one? Who gets the dead man's chest? Me? And then they like, <laughs> you have to go and claim it and say like, oh, you know, so-and-so now is doing this ex-magician's trick. It, it lives on. It's 50 generations deep now. It's been around since the Amazing. Fife era. I love it. I just think it's such like, it's so much longer and deeper than comedy. Yeah. And I, I like that. But it, at the root of it is probably what you talked about of this little creative voice gets to win. If the world outside of that makes me racist or angry or mean or misogynistic or whatever the thing is, uh, that sucks. But at times, this little creative kid won and created mm-hmm. something unique. And I, I want to give some attention to that. It's not yeah. like I ignore the other part, but I got to say, I have to, I like it. I appreciate that that voice made something. Yeah. It's like, um, these pictures are horrifying, but a sneep went on a leap and fleeped and fleeped. <laughs> it's like, can put me to sleep. Yeah. Yeah. I think like for me, like someone like R. Kelly, removed like that's off the landscape for me if i hear his music i had to turn it off right because it's it's harm it did harm to people and you could say that with like someone uh espousing views that are hurtful is that a call to violence certainly not helping it's not a non-call right but you know there's a gray area there anyway i I don't want to get into that i was (laughs) (laughs) too many touchy areas there but i just think that like that it's two-sided the voice that made it, the creative side, and then you being able to show up and like, I'm leaving my suit that I put on around myself. The thing I cloak my scared little boy with, right. I'm leaving that at home. I'm bringing the little kid and I'm going to let him have a fun time and laugh and enjoy things. Yeah. And then if <clears> I have to leave here and put that cloak back on and be, you know, the world is tough. I got to. That's right. That, that That's the thing. It's like you have this little boy that is creating these things and it's so fun and whatever, but you go and you just get beaten down by the world and you have all these little experiences that lead to, you know, whatever. So you say something and everyone's like, uh, I'm sorry, excuse me. And you're like, yeah, but you don't know what happened to me when I was 14. Oh, yeah. So I am going to say that. And then, uh, this, you know, they, they look at your work, the little boys work and they go, well, how did this become this? Or how did this, vice versa, or whatever. So it, it's always interesting where I've, as I get older, I have, I had very little time for uh, people's excuses as I was growing up. It's like, get over it. Yeah. You know, oh, you, you had a tough childhood? Who didn't? Get over it, you know? But now that I'm older, I'm just like, yeah, that does suck. That does suck. And I <clears throat> I have a little empathy for for what you had to come through. And, uh, you know, I hope I hope you change your mind. But yeah. it's not for me to change it, I don't think. Yeah. Uh, man, getting that. The, pre, the previous era, the last few years, especially dealing with a pandemic, mm-hmm. I think met with a number of people. Some of them didn't make it. They did not, but they believed in themselves. I'm going to do this. And, they, and that must have been a learned thing of like, in spite of science, in spite of better judgment, in spite of pleas from my friends and family, I'm believing in myself. And mm-hmm. I'm marching into this rave with no protection and I have a debilitating lung issue, I'll be fine. And they did not make it. But the way they believed in themselves was something they had to acquire throughout life to sort of say, I I need it in kind of a, this helps me get through. Yeah. If I just eliminate the opportunity to go A or B, A is plow ahead, stuff your emotions down. B is kind of like, man, maybe I should take a day and just kind of chill. Maybe I should lay there with a pillow. B's off the table, always A. Yeah. And you charge through life that way, it can be effective. And you get to a point where you've amassed a lot of things, you got stuff, and anyone that has any kind of nonsense, you go, cool it, save it. You don't want to hear it. Right. A always worked for me. But I don't think that makes for a healthy human being to not listen to people's B's, to not listen right. and like at least go, yeah, that does suck. Maybe you should take a day. 
you've taken four years. Maybe it's a bit much. Let's maybe kick it into gear. Yeah. But everyone has their own timeline on their A and their B, I think. Well, I have A's and B's. <clears throat> My two inner voices, right? My A inner voice, the one that shows up the most frequently, who is, I've been told, very negative self-talk. Mm-hmm. is my eighth grade gym teacher, right? Just shorts <laughs> up to the scrot. I mean, ridiculous, right? Never a sleeve in his closet. Fresh out of college, just screaming like, you think this? Well, why, you know, why don't you go kiss boys while you're at it throwing like that? You know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> and then... Uh, I hate that that guy wedged his way into your brain. Oh, yeah, it's on the golf course or, you know, any after a show. It's like, you, you think you think this is going to get you anywhere? You know. Uh, but then I also have a competing voice, which is wildly my seventh and eighth grade, like, literature and English teacher, Carol Leafblad, who was just always so – I mean, she went down and marched in Birmingham when she was a young woman and, like, all this stuff. And so she was always just, uh, hey, you know – sliding the paper over i know you didn't get the grade you wanted but you know i also know you're very good at this subject and i also know this and so if you need some help come and talk to me but you know what don't let this define you this doesn't define your day like that kind of stuff and i hear that too yeah so it's like these two just going at it it's pretty wild i think the society going back to like a unified cult Maybe we can encourage more Carol Leafblatt yeah. to just be there. Not not to be the winning voice, but just to be a voice. Cause I think Yeah, you need you need you need balance and you need reason. Yeah. yeah. You can't just shove her into a box and muffle it and close it off and be like, What'd you say, coach? You got it. Cause what a nightmare. Yeah. You can't always have the if you're gonna have any fun or you're gonna get those chicks pregnant, it's gonna be in that rave. Get in there, dude. <laughs> Instead of, you know, well, listen, just a night in with a pillow. How about that? When I was in seventh grade, puberty hadn't come for me quite yet. And I was little. I remember we show up for gym the first day of seventh grade. And our same guy, like our guy was a little more barrel chested, tight sleeves. Okay. Like the sleeve. Yeah. But yeah, the shorts way up there. Yeah. The belly button was just deep, like challenger deep, deep. And, <laughs> and it's almost like, what's that? You don't think I have, you don't think I'm a dude? You don't think I have testicles? Well, look at these shorts because <laughs> they, do your shorts touch your nipples? Then you're not a man. <laughs> and he, I had been really sick and I missed like maybe six or seven days of school. So I came back. Oh, well, going back to the beginning. Ricketts? I don't remember what I had. It might have just been a flu thing. I'm trying to think. It was it was rough because uh, I lost a bunch of weight and I was all pale. And so this is me starting off at like, I don't even know if I weighed 100 pounds. Okay. And I was one of the shortest kids in school. And I remember on day one, we show up with our gym bags with like our names on them, on the t-shirts you got to change into. And oh, like, yeah. You will change into these clothes. Then after class, you'll hit the showers. You have the opportunity to wear gym shorts if you want to. Like saying it in such a way that like yeah. if you're a baby. And I remember a couple of my friends looking over like, can't wait to see what I see. Like kind of <laughs> suggesting, I know you you don't have any pubes, bro. And I'm like, what a weird thing. So maybe that's where like a sense of humor starts to come in. Like I got to defend myself from this. And like, I'll insult you, something about you. And anyway, that guy just remained that way throughout and then I, I get back from this illness. We never had to shower. No one ever set foot in a shower once. So like oh, right. the, all that, n- the nerves, I think they did that really well on Freaks and Geeks of just, <gasps> and then you don't even have to do it. But I get back from this illness and there's 40-ish kids in this class maybe. We sit around this wrestling mat around the circle. And he's like, I'm going to show you how to do a takedown. You, get out here. I'm like, I've just returned. I'm even smaller than I started. I'm so pale. I can barely stand up. I'm like, eh. And it was one of those where, like, hey, let me go out and get on all fours, which should have right. just had the class in an uproar. Oh, my God, look at what Huntsberger has to do. But instead, <laughs> everyone was, like, raising their hand. Hey, hey he, he's been sick. Like, maybe you could pursue- pipe it. And he right. buries his chin between my shoulder blades and gets in this move where he's, now, the referee would count here and slap the mat. 
And then he flips me over and pins me down. I think he was expecting like some high fives and a kid to whip him a beer and him just <laughs> be like, yeah! But instead it was just the class being like, oh. it was just too much. Like this kid has been pretty sick. It's pretty evident. And so that was kind of a Carol thing there for me. Of just that guy's voice never made it out because it was yeah. so absurd that he, there is some voice for sure for everyone that is the gym coach, but not my guy. He didn't get in there. Oh yeah, so our our guy was pretty brutal. I mean, he would he would play dodgeball with us and whip it at your face. <laughs> I mean, right at your face. <laughs> I can actually now that I said dodgeball and thinking about this, I can hear the sound that little weird ringing echo inside of a rubber ball when yeah. it hits something. Oh yeah, I'm hearing that right now too. I can hear it in my ear. It's <laughs> disgusting. Um, so then the the guy we had after that. He was really cool. His name was Mr. Link, and he played for the Chicago Bears. Whoa. And so then came up, married a woman from the, the area where I grew up. And there was this universal gym, you know, where you have the um, – it's it's a bench press, but it's those weights that are stacked. They're, they're kind of stacked, and you have the pin, and you pull it out and to add weight. Yeah. He went over – and uh, we were all we were all doing it or whatever uh, the bench press and and uh, we had just wrestled and he he was very cool about it. This has made me think of him. He paired you up and we had a couple guys in class that were like, I don't want to wrestle. Why yeah, I don't want to wrestle. And he's like, All right, don't wrestle. Yeah. So that was pretty slick. But he goes over there after we're all you know we're talking crap like, Oh, I did this much and I did this much. He sits down and then he goes, uh, Daniels Knutson, come over here. Stand on this. We stand on all the weight stack, and he just ret, 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 just rips off some reps. <laughs> and he didn't brag about it. He goes, eventually you can all get here, but the numbers don't matter today. I mean, it was like pretty wild stuff. Yeah. It was such a weird thing. And in my head, I was like, do you think you could beat up Mr. Meal? Could you go find him and fight him? <laughs> I think Mr. Meal, thinking back to that and why for – for me in seventh grade, it was impactful. It was the uh, hyenas, seventh graders. I mean, all the hormones, all the yeah. cult activity of like packing up and being in this clique or this one yep. could have easily just feasted on what a sight. We're going to take photos and we're going to tell everyone at school like Huntsburg got pinned by this dude and he had his chin in his. But instead, there was empathy. They were all, oh, come on, man. So yeah. and you know that like humans have that in them, even right. at that age. And I wonder if Mr. Meal drives a big truck. People see his house. They start seeing these things that like, well, it's worked out for him. Maybe that's effective. And he keeps espousing to us that this is a really good way to be alive. He's eliminated option B. He's put away the Carol voice. He's yeah. just full tilt all the time. Dodgeball's only go to face, nowhere else. And then people yeah. start to take that in and go, oh, no, work for him. Big, nice truck, nice house. I think it's going okay. And then the little boy is just in there like, I'm still in here. I'm yeah. barely heard, but I'm in here. The curtains are always shut on his nice house. And yeah. he's just sitting there with a little plastic cup of chocolate milk. Like, <laughs> I don't need you to give me something to cry about. I'm crying. <laughs> I'm already crying. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's exactly how you build one of those. Yeah. But I love the the quiet. Every I mean, it's reading one, literature so great because so often the hero is that is the the weights. You know, yep. come stand on these. Quietly doing their thing. When it's time for a hero, they show up quietly, do it, go back. And that's anybody. That's anyone across any, like, gender spectrum that is just a person. Just having the inner mm -hmm. strength to understand when you can be sensitive, when you can be vulnerable, mm -hmm. and that it doesn't mean that it's weakness. Anyway, I think we, I think we covered that in our, our unified cult. I can tell you one more thing about Mr. Lang. Yeah, lay it on me. We for baseball, we used to have to because I grew up where it's so cold in northern Minnesota. It we couldn't practice outside until it was almost opening day, mm -hmm. and so we'd practice in the gym. And I don't know if you know about plastic covered baseballs on a gym floor, but they skip. Mm -hmm. I mean, like almost when they hit the ground, they pick up speed. <laughs> and this guy used to hit gigantic four hundred foot home runs. He's a lefty. And he would throw and he would not take it easy on you even a little bit. These were laser beams. Yeah. And we had a guy playing third base. He hits it, skips between his legs. The guy stood up. It had bounced off the wall, hit him in the back of the head, knocked him out. It was insane. And yeah. then get him up, 
get him up. It was you see a different side of Mr. Link, the coach, because uh. then he'd be like, right to shortstop, <laughs> crush it. It was so wild. You're just like, you're shaking because you go, see, Dad, can we make sure he's alive before you hit one at me? I mean, it was pretty insane. Wow. Yeah. That's a full change. That cha- That's uh Yeah, but but also then. He peels off his face. I've been Mr. Meal the whole time. <laughs> And I would have got away with it too if it wasn't for you meddling kids. Um, yeah, but then, but then after he'd, he'd he'd sit you down after he did that. It was almost like this confidence building thing. <laughs> Joseph, here's why he got knocked out. Here's why I did that. Like that kind of thing. No, not not why. He goes. I just want to let you guys know. I know those were coming fast. You will not see a ball that fast on a baseball field. Um, we're done with that. I just want you guys to know I'm proud of you. If you didn't catch it, I don't care. It was just standing in there. I just want, you know, whatever. And we're like, okay, do I know how to block kicks now? This feels very Karate Kid-ish. <laughs> yeah, everyone's just looking over at the dude weakened at Bernie's in the corner. <laughs> yeah. I don't think he can hear you because he's still out. Do you have any smelling salts? Are you going to give the same speech to Justin in the hospital? You're going to go there next? How did the team do that year? Great. Oh, okay. So yeah. it worked. It, yeah. was, it was good. Yeah. When you talked about going to uh, new markets with a new hour, new cities, uh, I think is we live in Los Angeles. People always refer to it as the entertainment capital of the world. It's the business capital of the world. And people, they sell right. entertainment. Sure. And it, I think of like when you start... Maybe it's just sour grapes, but like being in Austin and like the silly, goofy, artsy element of mm-hmm. it, it's so fun. Well, people are still doing that. Probably still delivering pizzas or something. Like if you make a decision, yeah. like I want to do this professionally, you got to hear things like this market or that kind of thing. And yeah, and uh, you know, it, you it, it becomes a business. But I remember when we were maybe this is probably. 12 years ago, 15 years ago, something, be, meeting in a green room and you saying, I hadn't seen you in a few months. And going, well, I hope you're not expecting any new material. And then you would right. kind of, lo- not that you'd locked in, there was always new material, but it wasn't quite the same as like a whole new act every time. Mm-hmm. And like that transformation, that transition, whatever, like, you know, was that a conscientious thing or you just found that you liked it or like what unlocked that? I think people that are creative are wondering like, where does pro- like being prolific come from? Well, I think that I was at, at first, you're trying to build the funniest half hour. Mm-hmm. So you make it hard on the person that goes after you, and the booker sees that and goes, well, we can't have this person, this person, this person go after him. So we just, we'll just let him be the last person. Mm-hmm. And so you hold on to the best bits that kill the hardest because no one's really there to see you. So mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. They're not going to remember them. And then... When you get to be the last person, you go, well, I don't want someone coming in and making it hard for me. So you still hold on to those. And then um, here's where it changed for me. I was doing a bit about hitting a pheasant and a white lady swearing at me. Mm -hmm. And it worked every single place I went because everyone knew that lady, right? And uh, then my I was home in Minneapolis and one of my friends, Sam, he goes, what were you thinking about when you were doing that bit? And I go, what do you mean? And he goes, well, your face just glazed over and you were talking, but it was, you were not in there. Mm-hmm. And I go, oh man, yeah, I was thinking about what I was going to eat when I got off stage because it was just so automatic. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I go, well, I can't do that anymore. And then I ended up getting sick of the jokes and I, I decided this isn't the person I want to be. I don't want to take a drink of water at the same spot every time I do that joke and whatever. So... I was like, all right, I'm going to be done doing that. And I'm just going to write the jokes that make me giggle and make me the most emotionally involved in them. Mm -hmm. And uh, and that's when I started talking about my kids a lot more and my family because it's like, I'm not going to talk about politics. I promise you someone knows more about politics than I do in the room. I'm not going to talk about this because they know more. But something that no one could know more about than me was my home life and my family. And so I was like, all right, I'm just going to do this. And then I was emotionally involved. And, you know, when you leave your kids to go work, it sucks. And so you're telling those stories, and it's a little bit of home life Mm -hmm. that kind of could get you through, too. So I think it was a combination of all of those things. And then as my kids got older, I'm like, well, I have these other stories. So I would just keep 
my act would keep evolving. And it wasn't like a, I need to have a new hour because these people deserve it. Yeah. And I want these fans to come back. <laughs> it was just keeping me sane on the road, I think, for the most part. Yeah, I like that. I, uh, I feel, I've, you know, I have little kids now and I haven't been doing stand up. And I know, like, you used to tell that joke about, like, a booker telling you, oh, nothing ruins a comedy career more than, you know, having kids or anything mm-hmm. like that. I can take that away. I get both sides of that. I can see that. I also, one, I like being around. Two, like, I think just for me personally, I don't know how much I need it. And I wonder about that now with comedians, like, the laughter the thing that comes like it's easy to say oh this is selfless i'm here people are having a good time they're enjoying themselves but there's a give and take for that for sure it's a nice feeling to be like included or to be i don't know i I, i've i've there was one show i did ever where it felt like so much love coming from the crowd i was like i don't know if this is good for me i don't know if i should get (laughs) yes this could be like a drug Do you have that at all, or like, does it always feel just kind of like, well, this is part of the part of the the biz? No, I mean, I've I've wanted to be a comedian since I was a little little boy. Mm-hmm. Like we're talking, maybe even before kindergarten. But, you know, I made a mug, one of those mugs that you write on it and then you put it in the oven and it and it stays. Yeah, um, it becomes permanent. And I wrote, wanted to be a comedian on there. And wow, my, my mom's cousin, who was. When that side of the family was over, she was the closest in age to me. And so she was always like helping me do crafts and stuff. And she reminds me of that story every time I go to Michigan and she comes to the show. She's like, you know, I can't believe you're doing what you said you were going to do when you were four. That's yeah. insane. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I don't even remember making that mug. But, um, you know, she was like, yeah, we used to watch All in the Family and, you know, Hee Haw and your grandpa used to listen to Bob Newhart records and you, I would watch you watching him laugh and you didn't know what was going on, but you would smile watching your grandpa laugh. And I was just like, yeah, maybe that's, maybe that's where I caught the bug, but I do love it. I do love, I, I, I love telling stories. I mean, if I didn't do stand up, my poor friends and family would have to just listen to me. You know, the really obnoxious, annoying person at the office who's <laughs> always got to, you're not going to believe what happened to me last night, man. It's like, I got to get this work done. No, 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 but just a sec. Yeah. That's me, for sure. So <laughs> this is my outlet to get it out. And uh, I'm glad that it has, you know, been received with a little a little bit of kindness where it's like, yeah, we'll, we'll listen for an hour. Oh, man, I think so. it's a lot of kindness. I think people love you and it's going to keep going that way. And you, it's awesome to see because there were times where it, it felt like you were not burned out, but just kind of going through the motions like the end of that pheasant joke. Mm-hmm. And then so now to see you like, I think when you get a chance to be an artist and you do it, you know, hey, we got studio space finally. Let's make a bunch of albums. Hey, we got stage time. Let's let's write new jokes. You know, I mm-hmm. love when people, the little, the little boy, the creative voice sure. coming out. In third grade, we I found this old album um, journal. We had to journal every day to start school, and I wrote, I like. We had to write the prompt was, "Why do you like February?" And I said, "February is good because all my jokes work the best." And Mrs. Best, who I didn't love at the time, I remember in third grade, and looking back over the journal, wrote something like, "They sure do," or something like that. She's very like complimentary. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I love the idea of a little kid like, "Ah, working on my jokes," or like in a mug, I'm going to be a comedian. Yeah. Well, buddy, it's been nearly 20 years of being great pals. Um, yeah. Thanks for doing this one-on-one conversation sit down. We'll have to do it again at some point. This is great. 20 years. Yeah. 20 more years. Yeah. 20, we'll do this again. 20. <laughs> Let me do the math here. Uh-oh. <laughs> one last question before I go. And I am kind of, I think I already know the answer to this, but uh, there's a button. Okay. And if you press it, humans all leave planet Earth. They, they don't feel anything. They just disappear. They go wherever they go. We don't know what that is, but they leave the planet. Would you hit that button? Uh-uh. Okay. I would not. Any reasoning? I just think it's uh, there's little victories throughout the day of people figuring stuff out, and I just wouldn't want to take that away. Nice. All right, go see him on tour. The new thing, I'll plug this at the end too, but go ahead and like, you got a new, you've recorded two hours. I don't call them specials. I think it's absurd that comedians use that term. I agree. It's, they should, why not call them exquisites or preciouses? Every, I think differently. My special. 
a ridiculous term. <laughs> I agree. I love the term hour. Yeah, hour is good. My my production, you've produced something. You've produced an hour, whatever it, yeah. this thing is. But what's it called? Where can people find it? Uh, mixed reviews, it's called, and you'll definitely uh, know why it's called that when you watch it. But I, but it's it's fun because it it's it's just a li- it's something for everyone really. There's uh, and so that's why I called it that. But I recorded two hours on the same night. This is the first one. You can find it on YouTube. You can uh, hear it on SiriusXM. You can hear it on Pandora. You can hear it anywhere you can get an album. You can hear it. But uh, you can watch the whole thing on YouTube. And then the second one, the second hour, I don't know when it'll be out, but it'll be out uh, sometime as well. And then I'm going to do another one March 2nd in St. Paul. Whew. Coming yep. fast and furious. Whipping them out. And then I'm. this is going to be my 10th hour. Man. And I think I'm going to call it that. Uh, my 10th hour is going to be the name of, of, of it. And then... Parentheses dedicated to Mr. Meal. Yeah, absolutely. But I found this space. It's called the Fitzgerald in St. Paul, and it's a beautiful theater. And its uh, its address is ten, and so it the number ten is on the awning. Nice. And I just thought that would that's, you know, sometimes sometimes you go and you and you look at a space and you think, uh, well, I don't know if this is right. When I walked out and looked up, I'm like, oh, I guess we're doing it here. Yeah. So that'll be great. Amazing. Ah, oh, that's exciting. March second. Also, some significance there. All right. Chad Daniels, if now you know. Okay. All right. Well, if you want to hear a longer uh, rambling about how we met, getting into comedy, the early days, how long we've known each other, all that stuff, uh, the Patreon, I ramble on about that for a little bit before the episode. And if you belong to the Patreon or if you uh, subscribe or you remember, you already heard this episode uh, a little bit early. So get access early, get the full conversation, even the ones that are broken into two or three parts. You get it all up front at once. Uh, more episodes coming, uh, more intercepts coming, more these are those tapes on the way. And like Chad mentioned, check out Mixed Reviews and all nine other. And I think Two Minutes for Sale Hacking would would be potentially the 11th. I'm not positive on that. But I remember when he was doing Busy Being Awesome and that kind of started the... I think I'm going to make more of these. And who would have ever guessed that he would be creating this mixed reviews is one half of two hours that were recorded in the same night. That's ridiculous. Imagine remembering two different hours of jokes and performing them back to back. It's really something. So mixed reviews on YouTube, Google Chad Daniels. And if you like it, check out other stuff too, because there is a lot of it. I'm proud of him. I've known him a long time. He's just one of the good guys, good person. And uh, has good kids. That's a good, you know, good uh, arbiter. What what word am I looking for? Who cares? Let's get out of here. This is a song called Trust by Generationals. I hope you like it. Thanks for stopping by the Space Cave.